Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773-467-5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. I, I know a lot of folks have been wondering, hey, um, How's it going for Kamala Harris with getting to the root causes of the mass migration to our southern border? Oh, that's right. She's in charge of that. I forgot. Yeah, she's uh, been working diligently over the past couple of years, as we've seen, what, um, last fiscal year, 600,000 gotaways and two and a half million border encounters, Mm -hmm. uh, setting records everywhere. Uh, But uh, she did want to update everybody, which was great. Had a little luncheon yesterday. Oh, no. Where was she? The Central America Forward Luncheon, uh, unveiling a new private part, uh, pu- public-private partnership. It's very exciting stuff. We'll get to that. But just bottom line, sort of State of the Union type, how's it going? So we have made great and significant progress together thus far. It's going pretty well. Oh, yeah. Pretty well but at the border. She said so. <laughs> uh, now, you know, you always, when it comes to Kamala Harris, who's a principle thoughtful policymaker as we've seen you always have to go to first principles the foundation that provides her uh, the formation of her policy proposals and so she just wanted to restate for our edification the principles that inform the work they're putting in the work the work they're doing to get to root causes uh, with respect to migration particularly from those Northern Triangle countries in Central America. Kamala's three principles. You may want to get a pen and paper. I'm ready. Something you may want to laminate, memorialize, make part of your own coda. Since then, my approach has been guided by three principles, as many of you here have heard over and over again. One, (laughs) I do, and I think we all believe, that people generally do not want to leave home. And when they do, it is because they are either fleeing some harm or because staying home will mean that they cannot satisfy the basic needs of their family and themselves. Two, we believe and are guided by the principle that governments must collaborate to manage migration. And that means through bilateral, trilateral, multilateral relationships and dialogue, but also what we must do to address the issue requires that we partner with the private sector. If we are to have lasting impact or even profound impact. Three, to effectively address the root causes of migration, we must also, and this is absolutely a guiding principle, promote good governance, reduce violence, and empower women. Oh, oh. <laughs> let that, let, you want to let that sink in a little bit. There's a lot there. There's a lot there. She throws in it. Got to empower women, mainly. 
Uh, we need to amp up the number of women's studies degrees that are being earned by oh. the Hondurans. Oh my yeah. goodness! Uh, wow. Also, the I like. I mean, I like all of it, of course. Like trilateral, bilateral, right? Unilateral, all the laterals. The um, I like uh, um, uh, particularly the reducing violence. Yes, it's fun. We're gonna take what we've done in America's major cities, and we're gonna bring that uh, expertise to the Northern Triangle countries. Well, um, all that is to set the stage for this exciting new phase we're entering. Oh, okay. Tell me. They're about doing it. the work. The work is being done, getting things done for people. Okay. Uh, the new phase is the Central America Forward, which I foreshadowed, and uh, this is uh, one of those public-private partnerships that are always a boon to the taxpayer. Uh, here's uh, the VP explaining. The second announcement I am pleased to make today is the launch of a new phase of our public-private partnership, which we have named Central America Forward. This includes a new series of U.S. government commitments to complement and support the investments from the private sector. Specifically, one, we will facilitate infrastructure projects in the northern area of Central America. For example, we will help to identify clean, ener clean energy projects, something that we're excited about around the world, but in this particular region where we know we can have great impact. Shovel-ready projects, yeah. Uh, we're just a, a wind farm and uh, a few solar panels away from stemming the tide of illegal immigration uh -huh. to our southern borders. So all of this uh, uh, flowery rhetoric just leads you to what do we always do? We're going to throw some of your money at those northern triangle countries. That's what we're going to do. It reminds me of when President Obama at the time was talking about ISIS. And he said, they just need jobs. We provide jobs for them. They'll it's be funny fine. you mention that. Funny you mention that because Let's the goal see. is part of the Central America Forward vision. Okay. Uh -huh. Okay. Let me uh, if I could put this in like a Venn diagram, like so Kamala fans can understand it. Um, is uh, four million new jobs created by 2032? Did you write that down? Four million by when? 2032. In in nine years, I'd like to get everybody back together and revisit this. So please remember that. Please memorialize that. Now, that's what's going on at the deep thinker level, mm -hmm. the visionary level, the elite level, where our betters reside. Okay? All right. All right. They're doing the work. I got that. Um, now, at the base level, where the mud people are, like the people who run hospitals, for example, the less thans, right? Okay. People who are albatrosses around the necks of the elites are betters. It's it's going a little differently. It's not going as well. The progress is not as substantial. Maybe they need a little bit of a public-private partnership at Yuma Regional Medical Center. Oh, Yuma. Yeah. Uh, Yuma, Dr. Arizona. Dr. Robert, uh, Robert Tranchel, who's the CEO there. I mean, he's not like Kamala Harris level, okay? But uh, he did want to share what's happening at Yuma and the institution he's in charge of running. Uh, and this is what's happening to Yuma Regional Medical Center at the border there in Arizona. 
we tracked our expenses for a period of over six months, or actually our uncompensated care over a period of six months, and we've calculated that we've provided over $20 million in uncompensated care to the migrants crossing the border. No, the city, the state, the, uh, the feds, federal government, no, no payer source for these individuals. You know, we've, we've talked to everybody. We've talked to the state. We've talked to our uh, U.S. senators. We've talked to our congresspeople uh, through our uh, um, legislative staff. We've reached out to Secretary Mayorkas. You know, we just don't have a payer source. Everybody is sympathetic and everybody lends a listening ear, but nobody has a solution. And like I said, it's been going on for over a year. We've provided $20 million in care to yeah. these to the migrants that are crossing the border, and we just don't have a payer source for those individuals. It's not a sustainable model to have these continued rising expenses without a revenue source to offset that. So what's going to happen to your hospital? Uh, you know what that uh, Yuma Regional Medical Center needs? They need to get in on that public-private partnership deal. Oh, right. Maybe they could uh, relocate to uh, Guatemala City or San Salvador. And then the federal government would take an interest in the expenses it's imposing on this hospital without compensating the hospital. Three, oh, and not, oh, yeah. to, not to mention, not to mention one other thing, the deprivation of care that is oh. resultant to actual Americans living in and around Yuma. Right. That have medical needs. Because uh, the Fox News reporter asked uh, uh, Dr. Tranchell, about that. So you, we don't have a pair source for the illegals. What about uh, everybody else who comes to Yuma Regional Medical Center? Do any other residents in Yuma besides the illegal immigrants get free care from your hospital? No, they do not. So just for those who are illegal. Fascinating. Yeah, fascinating. Yeah. Three three one two six four two five six zero zero turnkey dot pro answer line six four six three six. Type in DA then a quick comment. Uh, yeah, take on your compliments uh, for Kamala. We'll pass them along. Uh, the progress report, we appreciate it. And uh, it's encouraging, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Nick, Northwest Side. Yes, good morning. Uh, you, you two guys, you know what's going on. Um, Ms. Harris, uh, our so-called vice president and in charge of the so-called border area there, she sounds like a psychobabble, like another one that we hear a lot of from, which is Mayor Lightfoot. Uh, back, even going back to the 50s and 60s, being living history as a kid, I can remember that there were too many children being made, innocent kids being born by these irresponsible men. That's where the big problem is. There's just too many people down there. And where were the governments at of these countries? Some of these governments are so corrupt or incompetent, except that they got money in their pockets all the time when they get out of office and flee, and then somebody else gets in. And our mayor here is talking about, we gotta do all kinds of things to uh, uh, the educational. Yeah, that should have been done back in the 50s and 60s. I'm not saying it shouldn't be done now, yeah. but uh, back then the unions, the teachers unions are making sure 20, 30, 40 years down the line when there's a strike that their pension plans are okay. What about the kids who come out of these schools who are just passed just to make right. statistics look good? Thanks so, for the, hey, thanks keep for up the good work. Thanks for the call, Nick. Appreciate it. Yeah, look, um, the good news for Chicago is that the migrants don't want to come here. They're skipping over yeah. Chicago, New York. New they York. want to get to Canada. Well, it's too dangerous. They know. Yeah. They're not stupid. They, they, we, hey, I just left San Salvador. I didn't want to go someplace less safe. Mark's outside. Good morning, Dan and Amy. 
Everybody knows our borders are wide open. The Democrats know that Kamala's incompetent. So they named her the border czar. They set her up to fail. So whatever political ambition she may have in the future, this, this this will derail it all. I think she was set up to fail because we know our borders are wide open. Thanks for the call, Mark. I don't think she can be set up to fail. That implies that she could be set up to succeed. Mark, uh, excuse me, Mary Kay in Western Springs. Yeah, we just keep getting ripped off and ripped off. And Dan, you're right. It all comes down to the dollars. But do you listen to this, Kamala. I do think we all believe the basic needs. The government, the bilateral, the trilateral, the it all comes down to the root causes. I mean, what the? I mean, listening to her is exhausting. It's psycho. I mean, it's just a bunch of babble, babble. And you're right. It comes down to the dollars everywhere we go. The, who, what do you think is the biggest problem right now in the United States? Where would you go with it, Dan? Go ahead. What do you think? Top oh, three. where um, would you go? The lack of economy? no, the lack of the lack of female empowerment. That's the biggest problem. <laughs> Thanks for the call, Mary Kay. Kamala hit it on the head there. Yeah. Uh, coming up on Chicago's Morning Answer. And it's a hemispheric problem, as she rightly pointed out. It's not just it's not just the United States. Hemispheric problem. Oh the lack of female empowerment. Ugh. Connect with Dan and Amy using the AM560 mobile app. Download it today at 560theanswer.com slash mobile. Hey, business owners, is your business and money in good hands? Does your bank invest in your success? Hi, Mike Gallagher here, letting you know that when you need a relationship bank, Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. I love these guys. Not only do they have expansive industry experience, a strong financial track record, but they're also highly capitalized for strategic growth. That's so important. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. They know what it means to grow a business by designing solutions that are right for you and only you. These are real people. They're ready to help. So reach out to my friends at Signature Bank. Make the call today, 773-467-5630, 773-467-5630, or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Your business could be Signature Bank's next success story. Go online, SignatureBank.Bank. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender, Signature Bank. America First with Sebastian Gorka. Today at 3, right before Sean Thompson at 4 on AM560, The Answer. And Amy, uh, before we get to uh, updating some of the medical research related to COVID and the impact of the COVIDians' lockdown policies, is this happening at the K through 12 level and I'm just not hearing about it? What? Yesterday, uh, the game, the basketball game between Minnesota and Illinois was canceled because of COVID. This is the third Big Ten game to be canceled because of COVID. Yeah, two from Northwestern, boys, the men's program, and now this. Yeah, it's still happening. Dan, everybody's wearing masks again in Chicago. I went to yoga on Sunday. And the instructor and half the class had masks on. And then at my church, 89 of the 110 people there had masks on. I'm glad you counted. I did uh, because the sermon but, was that boring. So. But, um, wait, wait, but, but is this happening yeah. at CPS, like in the, the playoffs? Um, so far, nothing. I mean, I get letters all the, or emails, excuse me, that says, your son has been exposed. He can still go to school, but he needs to be masked for the next 10 days. They're still doing that as well. Oh, that's going on. And that, and then sometimes they'll let you know about exposure, but they don't have to mask. It's all arbitrary. It's very 
discombobulated. But games being canceled, I have not heard. But um, if I do hear, I'll let you know. Well, and, and other people hearing, like, uh, you know, where their kids play high school or college. I, I, I Maybe I'm just not uh, – maybe I'm missing it. But it seems like the Big Ten is an anomaly here with the game cancellations, mm-hmm. which is completely absurd. Mm-hmm. Completely absurd. Uh, but the Big Ten basketball outside of Purdue is so bad this year. I don't, who cares? Oh, I was getting games. okay. I was better. Uh, Illinois is not bad. Rutgers uh, is the only one that Purdue lost to. Yeah, but I per- still don't feel like they're in the Big Ten. I don't even. Purdue is the only. All right. Only nice. game like, in town. Yeah. Only real, like, national champion possibility coming out of the Big Ten. That's for sure. But I don't um, know why they're doing that. Cancel if the kids. If the person's sick, then they just sit out the game. It's real simple. But now they have to yeah. do this big drama play. Oh, we might be saving lives. Right. <laughs> well, that's a perfect segue. You know, there's more of these uh, meta-studies, uh, meta-analysis uh, analyses being done, and they're very helpful because you've got studies that, you know, draw uh, different conclusions, some contrary to one another, some sort of on the same path. But uh, uh, the results are more muted in some versus others on these topics. We talked about one last week. The, out of uh, uh, the Cochrane outfit, the meta-analysis on all the mask studies. Yeah. And the bottom line is they're relevant. Don't Basically. work. Yeah. yeah. Even NR95s are Basically. not efficient. Basically, they're meaningless. Um, a new analysis of more, meta-analysis of more than 40 studies from around the world on the impact on kids' education because there's been a you know varying conclusions about how much uh, learning was lost, how much their, the kids' intellectual development was stunted. Mm-hmm. The uh, children lost, the conclusion of this meta-analysis, children lost an average of one-third of a year of school during the coronavirus pandemic, largely due to the disruption and damage, school closures, and the shift to distance learning brought on children's physical and mental health. Um, the uh, uh, Nature Human Behavior Journal which I know you subscribe yes. to, Amy, uh, looked at the results of 42 studies examining pandemic learning loss from 15 countries around the globe. And again, uh, found globally children lost 35% of a school year's worth of learning during the pandemic. Now there's going to be some variance there. It's a difference between Sweden and, say, Chicago, um, but and, and obviously cities within different cities within different countries that did different things in a country like the United States. But nonetheless, that's where we're at. Uh, the studies also indicate attempts to reverse the severe learning loss caused by COVID closures have been far from successful. Upon returning to the classroom, the deficits created during the pandemic have remained incredibly stable, quote unquote, is the phrase used, uh, indicating that the learning losses are likely to be quite sticky. Long learning loss. How about that? Maybe if you put it in COVIDian parlance, people will pay attention. Uh Instead of long COVID, long learning loss. Long learning loss. I could wrap around my head around that. Uh, Also, learning loss was more pronounced in the middle-income countries like Mexico and South Africa. Middle-income countries accounted for the three highest estimates of learning loss. Um, Part of it is because low-income countries um, have poor data quality, so it's a little bit skewed there but nonetheless uh even in high in, in a high income country like the united states again from the study 
The magnitude of learning loss remains steep. One study included in the analysis found that the average public school student in third grade through eighth grade lost a year and a half of math and learning, and a year lost a half of year of math learning, and a quarter of year of a year in reading. So again, third through eighth in the United States, half a year in math, quarter of a year in reading. Uh, the only uh, countries that did not experience significant learning loss of the guess. 42 that were studied? Sweden? No, that's oh. one. What else? Stay in, the, stay in the region. Oh, Denmark? That's the other. Okay. And what did they do? Stayed they open. more or less stayed, the schools more or less stayed open. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, they shut down uh, college universities for two weeks, and then that was it. And so, um, and they canceled large concerts, and that was it. So the well, and the, and so, and this brings us to the impact of the the more global impact of lockdowns, including excess deaths. There's a good piece by uh, uh, David Livermore, and it spiked online. Uh, Livermore is a retired. Uh, professor of microbiology and by the way spiked online is a good outlet and we talked to brendan o'neill from there and but they've got a lot of interesting uh, authors and pieces they post um uh, livermore looks at excess deaths because the uh numbers are s- striking in the west in including in the united states in Australia and the United States, excess deaths for 2022 are about 15% above the pre-pandemic average. Uh, in the uh, UK, uh, about 9%. Um, and he, he goes through it and basically comes to the conclusion, which I think makes a lot of sense, that the only thing you can really attribute this to the only thing that sort of logically flows once you examine the possible uh, explanations is the lockdowns and what the lockdowns did in terms of deaths of despair which by the way was somewhat predicted that's one bucket and the other bucket is the uh, lack of access to medical care we talked about that as well. We talked about it from the beginning, the lack of cancer screenings and uh, other preventative care and uh, routine checkups that would have potentially caught an illness and so on, like uh, the, the onset of a disease and so on and so forth. So that that seems to explain it. So it's not, you know, it's, it's, it's not the vaccines and it's... Um, um, you know, and, and and it's not COVID, obviously. So what are you left with? You're left with the lockdowns. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line. You could also reach us all morning long on our text line, 64636, type in DA, then a quick comment. Have you, uh, have you seen this commercial, this new Pfizer commercial, this new push for everybody to get boosted? It's with Pink and Michael Phelps. Is uh, Dr. Jordan Tristan Walker from the Project Veritas videos, is he in it? No, he's not in oh, it. But just so listen, because we have a new problem. We have a new comorbidity, Dan. I don't know if you've heard about it. If this were the real COVID-19, I would be in real trouble because I have asthma. And I have depression. Depression? I have diabetes. And I struggle with my weight. For us, COVID is a whole different ballgame. In fact, you could be one of almost 200 million Americans with a high risk factor that makes COVID 
even riskier. Okay, 200 million Americans, that's basically all adults in America, either have asthma, depression, diabetes, or are overweight. But when did depression become a comorbidity? When they said that it is. Well, who's the fat guy? Who's the guy the struggle, guy struggles is, with his uh, weight? The drummer from The Roots, the band The Roots. And oh. he doesn't look fat, so people are okay. like, is this a parody? If you're saying somebody struggles with their weight, at least uh, they're not, you know, overweight, but he struggles with his weight. Uh, depression is a comorbidity. Yeah. Why? Because they just changed the rules again. So now if you're depressed, oh, my gosh, maybe I should go get a booster because I'm at risk now. It's just more lies that the government and Big Pharma are feeding people. The... the um Going back to yes. Professor Livermore, the bulk of evidence, he writes, bulk of evidence points to lockdowns as the main cause of excess mortality. After all, lockdowns disrupted healthcare in myriad ways from which it has yet to recover. Uh, patients avoided seeking out healthcare despite their symptoms. They feared catching COVID, the, the fear that the yeah. COVIDians induced. Uh, or they didn't want to be a nuisance because, you know, it was all hands on deck and COVID was the only thing that mattered. I, I, I People... I assume people remember this, but I, you know, I don't know. I think people need to be reminded a lot. Oh, let's remind them, please. The every uh, day of their lives. He talks about England too, Mary Old England, where he was a practitioner, professor. The uh, general practitioner system has also been upended by lockdowns during the pandemic. It became difficult to ser- to secure an appointment, and, and at many practices, it remains so. Face to face appointments now comprise less than 70% of all appointments compared with 80% before the pandemic. At the worst practices, less than 20% of the appointments are now in person. Um, and so, you know, that's a little bit more difficult to detect, you know, certain uh, conditions doing telemedicine. Telemedicine can be useful in some respects, uh, but it's not a panacea, no. if you will. So, uh, but but the the disruption that COVID caused, we've talked about it a lot in education. We talk a lot about uh, a lot about it in terms of our economy, but also in the healthcare industry, that doesn't just snap back either. Particularly when you're afflicted, as the UK is, with a centrally planned healthcare system, government-run healthcare, right. and basically in this country, we have backdoor very something very similar these days. Uh huh. Um, every medical specialist suspects more deaths are occurring in their field than the official data are recording. He writes, "The obvious suspicion is that cases are continuing or even rising, but they are are passing undetected and untreated, hidden among the growing tally of people dying at home." And then, of course, the the lockdowns promoting unhealthy lifestyles too, which. And we've talked about that and oh, the weight God. gain. And I mean, so making right. the the irony of protecting people, at, quote, unquote, protecting people, quote, unquote, saving lives. You lock them in a place and they they gain 40 pounds and Become now they've alcoholics. got alcoholics. Oh, and now they've got a comorbidity that makes them more susceptible yep. to covid. Mm-hmm. <sighs> shut down the gym, shut down the lakefront so you can't even walk in a park. Why do people forget about that, about Mayor Lightfoot? I will never Ever forgive her for that and for keeping our kids when the whole state was playing basketball. Remember when they started up sports again and she didn't know about it. And I had to sit in a press conference that they tried to kick me out of. And but I was in a public place. I said, no, call the cops. I'm not moving. And I stood there and I said, the rest of the state is playing basketball. We need to be playing basketball. 
And she didn't know anything about it. She's like, okay, I'll get on that. Ever since mid-2021, Sweden's excess mortality has tracked lower than its neighbors, frequently dipping to zero. Oh also have noticed that Sweden, with a large infection wave in 2020 and no excess deaths now, zero, we're up 15%, 20% in the West, the lockdown yeah. West. Sweden, zero <laughs> now. Um Large infection wave in 2020, no excess deaths now, refutes the idea that excess deaths are the late arriving consequence of COVID infections. If they were, Sweden would now be enduring more deaths than its Nordic neighbors, which experienced smaller waves of infection in 2020 and 2021, and they're not. Mm -hmm. Look at that. And the whole world vilified Sweden. But it's uh, studies like these most recent meta-analyses it's uh, uh thoughtful pieces like this piece at spike from this retired microbiology professor that uh, need to be shared and it, it, it's why you have covidians suggesting amnesty because some of them know and they're obviously not going to say it and they're certainly not going to accept whatever responsibility that they should accept it's really but, hard to convince and to admit that you've been fooled for the past three years. Or worse, admit that you were wrong, party to something yeah. more nefarious than being a dupe. And that's why I get so, when I see people with masks on, I think you help perpetuate this lie. And you're still, you're still knee deep in it, still digging in your heels. Well, that's the point is when you see that, it's a reminder that uh, you need to continue to share information. I'm not interested in vilifying the the dopes among us, wasting your time there. If those people are going to have to be deprogrammed or come to their senses on their own timeline. But it's a reminder that, number one, no amnesty. Number two, keep sharing information because they're, okay. the good news is there are enough people with integrity that are doing the work, to borrow a favorite phrase of the Biden administration, to look at impacts and to produce scholarship like we talk about routinely on this show. So share it. All right. Mark and Rochelle, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Yeah, I was just curious because I didn't see that commercial broadcast. Did they actually list this possible side effects afterwards like they usually do with medications? It's all like gibberish you can barely understand and whatnot. Uh, did they? You know what? They did not, which is because normally they'll say you could, could cause you know, bleeding of the year, and they yeah. list all these things that could happen. No, they did not. And they're passing yeah, around they probably, a COVID ball. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, yeah the commercial, they probably didn't have enough time to list them all. Thanks for the call, Mark. Well, well it doesn't fit their narrative. They, How dare they? Yeah. Well, why do they need to list side effects when you, they have no liability? Oh, you're right, Dan. <gasps> Bingo. That's it. Chuck and, Chuck and Delavan. Hey, uh, in, in May uh, 2020, May the 14th, the Supreme Court in Wisconsin overturned Evers up here and said, you have no jurisdiction to shut the state down. Everything opened right back up again. It was oh. like wild, wild west. Everybody that had lake houses in Delvin or on Lake Geneva, the grandparents and stuff, they all came up. And when it came time for September, they never went back because they remotely learned. Yep. It was a big bunch of money that was made up here. Piggly Wiggly said in that first month they made $100,000 more than what they did the previous year. I believe This it. was a lot of people made money. But remember when your neighbors up north in Door County did not want the Chicago people to come to their own homes that they owned in Wisconsin? Remember that debacle? And guess what? 
we won because that's your home and you have every right in the world to you know drive to your home freedom of travel it's ridiculous Philip in Blue Island um first of all just uh, good morning the drummer from from the roots um, um you you always see in the top of his torso so but his bottom part is very very healthy so he has comedians <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry. This, I didn't check out the junk in the trunk. All right. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. Yeah. Okay. All right. Very good to know. Oh, go ahead. I don't want to no, hear no, that. No, good to know. I'm, I'm glad that uh, we've got the full <laughs> workup on uh, the Roots drummer. <laughs> oh, that, that, that kills me. Uh, but America is thicker than Sweden, and and our healthcare system is, is set up to where. You know, America, we're just, a, we're just, I don't know if we're the sickest nation in the world, but fat. when it comes to comenities, you can't really compare us to Sweden. And, you know, COVID did kill or is killing a lot of more um, um, those people with comenities than any place else in the world. Would you agree or not? Well, uh, again, uh, just going to the numbers here, in Australia and the U.S., access deaths for 2022 are 15% higher than pre-pandemic, the pre-pandemic average. In the UK, it's 9%. There's something happening in the West that uh, is not easily explained by just saying that Swedes are healthier than Americans, Philip. Thanks for the call. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. The stories you need to know to start your day. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560. Business owners, now's the time for your business to make the move to a locally owned business bank. Hi, Mike Gallagher here to let you know that you don't have to look far. Signature Bank was founded in Chicago with a simple mission to help companies like yours grow, succeed, and thrive. Their decisions are made locally by a terrific team that knows your name, cares about your business, and invests in your success. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. I'm a customer. As business owners, they knew that local family-owned businesses were not getting the help they needed or deserved. So, I invite you to reach out to my friends at Signature Bank today. Write the number down. Remember this phone number, Signature Bank, 773-467-5630. And learn all about this great bank, 773-467-5630. Or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy, we got it all wrong. Everybody's got it all wrong. You listening, you got it all wrong. This was not a... U.S. intelligence failure. I'm talking about cheese red balloon. This was an intelligence success. <laughs> oh, the, really? Do tell. The big guy jujitsued the Chicoms. That's the story. That's what happened. Do you think he's going to brag about that tonight at the State of the Union, too? They weren't spying on us, you rubes. Oh. We were spying on them. 
Kate Bedingfield is a White House comms director. I loved uh, her pocket full of sunshine, right? <laughs> that was her. Oh, no, that was Natasha Bedingfield. Uh, she's a White House comms director. Oh, she boy. explained what actually happened. Okay. As opposed to what you people were thinking. Uh, you know, what I would say about the balloon is obviously uh, the president handled it uh, directly, effectively, uh, took down the balloon over territorial water so that we could collect intelligence on the balloon oh, as it traveled. Really? Uh, we prevented it from collecting intelligence and collected oh. uh, intelligence back on the balloon and ultimately brought it down without doing any damage uh, or causing any uh, any danger to American lives. So uh, the president handled it effectively. Excuse me. Uh, there's electronics on there when they hit the water. Water and electronics don't really mix well. So, yeah. Intelligence success. <laughs> this was a. This was. Wow. He 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 upended the chai comms. You see what he did? Go ahead. Yeah yeah. Let that balloon come in. Let let it come in. Oh sure, sure. We'll watch that balloon. All right. We'll put the shields up on yeah, our sensitive uh, positions and sensitive places and uh, will monitor the balloon until such time as we can take it out so we can secure it and pick up all of that intel. Uh, 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line, 64636, type in DA, then a quick comment. I don't know. I know they allegedly put these shields on the over all the bases that it was maneuvered over. But they got a chance to see our infrastructure, our highways, our farmland. What about other companies? So the power grids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, how good <laughs> is the big guy? How good is this oh, guy? Oh, I'm sorry. Huh? I forgot, Dan. We're supposed to be celebrating him. How My good bad. is this guy? Whew. He had everybody going. Everybody going. All right. I mean, a second term for sure. This guy has she eating right out of his hand oh yeah right well the chinese are not happy with us they still maintain it was a civilian aircraft and we had no business shooting it down the big guy said it was always his position he was uh, meandering around uh, the white house grounds and so he figured he'd stop and answer a few questions yeah. he said this always his intention he's decisive never had a hesitation about taking out that that spy balloon, she's red balloon. He just had to wait. He had to wait till it was in his clutches. Okay. Victory. Oh no, it was always my position. Once oh. it came over to the United, into the United States from Canada, I uh, told the Defense Department wanted to shoot it down as soon as it was appropriate. Does this change? They concluded. They concluded we should not shoot it down over land. It was not a serious threat and we should wait till we got across the water well one of the questions is um when exactly were you apprised of the balloon and where was it at the time it was wednesday Be right he gave the order on wednesday right so he was right. essentially apprised on wednesday but it entered american airspace on saturday so he you didn't the president of the united states didn't know there was a chinese communist spy balloon in our airspace for four days. And if it were not for reporters in Montana, this story would have never come to light. This balloon could have been floating around and nobody would know. Uh, here's a, a CIA, former CIA station chief uh, responding to this uh, contention by Kate Bedingfield that this was a brilliant uh, piece of reversal 
uh, and uh, they weren't spying on us, we were spying on them. So I think the way I would have phrased that question is, is the risk of loss by allowing the spy balloon to enjoy persistent access over, let's say, our nuclear silos in Montana worth the potential gain of whatever collection we might glean? I would say that's probably not in our favor. Uh, and on the timeline, what concerns me is that President Biden wasn't informed until after the spy balloon had entered our airspace. I think that's a second issue that there will be a lot of oversight questions about the timeline. When was the president informed and why so late? Uh, the other thing that um, the, the former CIA station chief said is uh, there should be an intelligence assessment of the damage that was done in terms of once once the satellite, uh, the spy balloon is recovered, of uh, the damage done based on whatever information can be extracted from that in terms of compromising yeah. any any of our nation's secrets. We don't know. But um, here was here's where the recovery is, at least as of yesterday. Jennifer Griffin, Pentagon reporter for Fox, reporting. Rescue divers have recovered some remnants from the surface waters. Those remnants are now en route to the FBI labs in Quantico as we speak. The debris field is about 15 football fields by 15 football fields, according to Kirby. The FB, FAA has issued a new temporary flight restriction banning all aircraft from a 100-square-mile box of airspace off the coast of Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, where the Chinese spy balloon was shot down Saturday until further notice. The U.S. Navy is leading recovery efforts with the amphibious ship USS Carter Hall, destroyer USS Oscar Austin, and cruiser Philippine Sea, along with Navy divers. The recovery will be expedited because of the shallow water, we're told. All right, so they should have it uh, in possession uh, shortly. John Ratcliffe, uh, former director of national intelligence and former congressman, was on with Hannity last night. And uh, on a serious note now, he gave a nice summary of the White House's changing story. Here we go again. Classified docs, redux. The White House's changing story and painful spin like what you heard from Kate Benningfield over the last several days. The Biden story keeps changing, the alibis keep changing, and now they've gone um, from intimating that we weren't telling the truth to admitting that we were with the explanation that you gave, Sean, which is that uh, no one knew, and somehow the best intelligence community, the best intelligence enterprise in the world somehow missed this for years, but miraculously in the past week they have pieced it together uh, to, to find three incidents. But, but I would say this, Sean, is, is, you know, they're trying to have you focus on a shiny object, but their own description of what they say these instances were, and I've heard that they've tried to recharacterize UAP or UFO sightings and call them Chinese balloons, whatever they may be, their description of them underscores the fact that it's not even in the same zip code as the national security blunder that happened this week. They're talking about potential incidents or minor incursions where something briefly transited uh, U.S. airspace for seconds or minutes. Compare that to a transcontinental voyage by a Chinese spycraft that you know went over ICBM missiles, that went over uh, U.S. Strategic Command, went over the home of the B-2 bomber, went over the Oak Ridge National Laboratories, uh, and exited over the ports of South Carolina. By the way, the ports that we would be using uh, to support any conflict with, with China over Taiwan. I mean, these things are, are, are not comparable uh, uh, under any circumstances, even if you assume everything they say to be true, which I don't, and I know Mike doesn't either. 
uh, talking about Mike Pompeo, who he was on with, who essentially echoed the sentiments. And yeah, That's the, scary and, stuff. And he also, and of course, he was referencing this this initial cover story. They had no big deal. This happened three times under Trump, Which and uh, nobody was just told about it. Nobody was told about it. Nobody knew about it. And uh, first of all, it was nobody who told a, nobody told anybody like the public. Right. And then it was, well, they didn't tell anybody because they didn't know, really. So the Pentagon didn't know about Chinese spy balloons in American airspace three times during Trump's presidency. They didn't know about it. Well, it might have uh, been close to Hawaii. That's why they didn't tell anybody, and so but I don't we, believe we figured this all out. We figured this whole program out, right? I mean, this is well, akin to Kate Bedingfield's, you know, they weren't spying on us. We were spying on them routine. But the whole thing with trying to make, you know, President Trump look bad, saying, you know, three, three of these balloons came over during his administration, which was, again, was another big lie. And what the Washington Post was reporting was that it might have been near, might have been near Hawaii, might have been near Alaska, might have been near the Florida Keys. But they're not sure. So it was never over the mainland, and we didn't let it go. And, you know, it's well, just, they're just trying to make Trump look bad. This, and it's, this might have happened. It might not have. Great reporting. What does that mean? Was there anything in, a, in a U.S. airspace or not? They say there was, but we can't tell you, even though we've pieced this all together. But they didn't tell very, the Trump very, administration. Very please. compelling. Very compelling. It's a big lie. Uh, Steve and Roselle, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Yes, well, um, I'd like to say that uh, being a, a satellite, it could carry a heavy, I mean, a, a balloon, it could carry a larger payload than a satellite, and it could carry ground-penetrating radar, which would enable them to pinpoint where our nu- nuclear silos are. All right, thanks, Steve. Also, there was a suggestion made by Pompeo last night at Hannity that, and we, we, I don't think we know this now, but there's a suggestion that there may have been explosives on, right, on that that satellite, that spy balloon. And so they're potentially, if they wanted to, the Chicoms could have detonated uh, and destroyed their own spy balloon if they, if they so chose. Uh, but that's unconfirmed. Yeah. Dean and Stickney. Yeah. Dean. I was uh, wondering why they didn't do a zero debris field with the, uh, technology that they had over a decade and a half ago with the space shuttle to retrieve the Hubble Space Telescope, repair it and put it back into orbit that they couldn't send up some type of unmanned vehicle to retrieve this thing and get the technology and the science that they were using and possibly determine what the satellite had already detected. Oh, retrieve it rather than shoot it down. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Uh, thanks for the call. I I don't have the technical knowledge about what our assets are in terms of the ability of the U.S. military to do that. But um, whether it was whether that was possible uh, or the shooting it down was necessary. Uh, of course, the big question is, why do you wait a week right. and, and allow and, you know, we're monitoring. We're monitoring the balloon. Nobody's what? in danger. We're monitoring the balloon. We're monitoring the balloon. This is what you heard from that Air Force press secretary. Well, why? Why are you monitoring it? To per the CIA station chief, you know, to, are, are you th- are we winning in terms of information that we're gathering from the spy balloon versus information they're gathering about U.S. assets? Does that sound like we're uh, the lead car in that race? I don't think so. John and Crown Point. Hi, Dan and Amy. I love your show. Oh. Love Amy more. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, 
I mean, they didn't need that. So I'm sorry, go ahead, Joe. They did not need that uh, spy balloon. There's Google Earth. You can look at anything with Google Earth. Thanks, John. Matt, South Bend. Hey, Good morning. I uh, was just going to ask, Are you? Uh, can you hear me okay? Yeah, uh-huh. I'm sorry about that. I was going to ask, are we going to try and put this back together then now we explode it? That just seems counterintuitive, kind of agreeing with the guy that said that are we going to just take it, you know, and co- capture the balloon. And then I would say go ahead and send it back uh, next day air, uh, international FedEx or something like that, and charge them collect and make sure Jinping signs for it. Thanks for the comment. Mm-hmm. Now, or put a pin in it, let it slowly fade. No, I just, I just think you just, just put it in uh, the, the big guy's garage by his Corvette. We'll just store it there. <laughs> so you know, Hunter Maybe, can tinker yeah. with it and stuff. Yeah. Maybe Get, they can take one of the solar panels off that balloon and you know, put it on the roof and yeah. Frank Arlington Heights. Hey, good morning. Um, just wanted to relate this to you know, there used to be something called the Open Skies Treaty that I think was signed in '52 or '53. I don't know if it was Truman or. Eisenhower that did it, where, you know, in that time of mutually assured destruction, when the Soviets had just developed missiles, we had, I don't know that much history of of the program itself, but I'm pretty sure it involved actual flights of planes over the United States back in the 1950s, um, and where we had rights to fly over the Soviet Union. So, I mean, you know, I just wonder if this has something to do with, you know, just tamping down nuclear threats, because there's all this talk about nuclear war all the time now. Russia and then you know China has them and who really knows what's going on that's that's really the big question it's always so you know it's always so mysterious what's going on with the CIA and and, uh, national security Um, so I just wanted to put that out there I mean we did have those types of overflights with actual planes over the United States yeah there was there was there was aerial surveillance flights unarmed and it was a mutual surveillance program it's also a treaty that the United States withdrew from under Trump Right. Yeah. Okay. So I, I'm just saying, I mean, you, you know, sometimes you need to to tamp down nuclear issues. You, you know, the other side has to feel secure to a certain extent. I'm not saying this is what happened here. I'm just speculating. So. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Thanks for the call, Frank. Jason, North Lake. Yeah. Um, we wouldn't want them to realize that there was another batch of classified documents up inside of the balloon, so they had to shoot it down. thanks jason dan and amy chicago's morning answer you've made the switch and it feels so good you switched to chicago's morning answer on am 560 the answer time now for another reason why dan puffed is single (laughs) snuggle up to the radio everybody you know I mean, I've, I've mentioned this before. You know this song by Spando Ballet, True. Yeah. You know the band name Spando Ballet. Yes, I'm. Yes. They're singing a song right no, now. No, but you know, you know the the reference. No. Spando Ballet, uh, the execution of German Nazis for war crimes, hanging at Spandau Prison, oh. and they called that the Spando Ballet when they were bobbing up and down. Oh. Still think this is romantic? Yeah. No, I. Now yeah. you've ruined it for me. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe yeah. we should choose a different song, Justin. 
Uh, can we focus on why Dan Proft is single? Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah. Back to you, Dan. Yeah. Um, interesting uh, survey. It doesn't really matter who did it. But it's uh, the predicate is um, this date dateside rescue hotline that uh, a TV personality, Denise Van Outen. Mm-hmm. Who's that? Not is that like was one of those desperate housewives or something? I don't know. Uh, anyway, she's uh, setting this up to help generate excuses for people to make a swift exit from a boring date. Okay. People, how long will you stick out a bad date? 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro, answer line. 64636-DA, turnkey.pro, text line. A, a supposed bad date. How, you know, how much? Oh, you stay till the end. I mean, if you're eating well, dinner, you don't want to well, get up and leave. But I've known people that, you know, will text me and say, please help me get out of this bad date. Um, text me something. Right. Tim Hatton, you know, like, oh, my my friend's baby has gone going to the hospital. I need to leave or something or work's calling me that's I kind need of to get ghoulish my friend's baby why, why do you have to bring oh. a baby into it i get you just Trust say me, people have done worse yeah uh all right so how, how, people the survey results here i'll just give you the survey results okay people will stick out a bad day for an average of 51 minutes before making their excuses to leave ah, okay this is two thousand adults it only takes 25 minutes to notice a spark or a lack of one but 51 minutes is how much time they'll give it you know, fifty-one minutes. I'm just getting warmed up. I don't. I don't lead with my best material. Oh, it's a slow roll with you. Yeah. Okay. Maybe, you know, because I got to have a, a show closer, <laughs> right? You want to stay for that. The best number does go last, right? Yeah. Maybe an encore. Who knows? Uh, oh. Fifty-one minutes. I, I can't. I can't work under those. Well, all right. Well, what's an ample time for you? Uh, you know, uh, you got to let hours. it, like a fine wine, you need to let it breathe and savor the interaction for a, uh, for a time. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Yeah. 51 minutes. I feel like I'm, you know, under the gun. It's like a shot clock. Uh, yeah. Well, here, speaking of that, um, and uh, the excuses you use, like, uh, my friend's baby is ill. Okay. Or a sick dog. There's a lot of things you can use. Yeah, it's always an illness. I got to get up early in the morning. Illness in the family, right? There's here's the top twenty excuses. Okay. All right, we'll give you the highlights. Some of them obvious. I'm not feeling. I want to see this. That's number one with a bullet. A family member's ill. An emergency at work. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, emergency at work. Right. Right. Yeah, you're you're a UPS driver. What's the emergency? Uh, you have a headache. What sort of sense oh, that's feeling you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, lame. Mm-hmm. Really lame. You forgot about something important you need to do instead. <laughs> that one <laughs> hurts. Ho- stings ho- a little. I hope it's right. It's generic. Well, what what's that important thing? Oh, I, I don't know. I just know something. And the worst is when they ask. You know, they probe into. Well, why do you have to go back to work? Or why do you have to? Blah blah blah. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, your business back off, fella. I've had a a bad run uh, the last, uh, you know, 20 or 25 years with um, uh, dates having pipes burst at home. Oh, I don't know if this 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 happens a lot more frequently than apparently I thought. And in the summer, too. Mm. Yeah. And if they have kids, they can always use a kid excuse. Oh, you know, Jimmy's babysitter has to leave early, so I need to leave. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah, the babysitter. Right. Um, some other popular ones, uh, you've had an allergic reaction. <laughs> I guess, I guess that would be to cancel the date pre-date because, 
I can see whether or not you've had an allergic reaction unless you just fall back on the ill thing. Um, you've just been mugged. That's a good one. What? You've been arrested. These are pre-date cancellations. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, your date looks too similar to a sibling or other relative. Yeah. yeah I had a lot of dates happen. that look like my dad. It was uncomfortable. <laughs> right. Larry? Uh, Is that you? <laughs> yeah. Pops? Uh-huh. Friend, friends and or family just showed up for a surprise visit. They're always dropping in. Oh, my gosh. I went on a date with Kyle Farnsworth, and I had a call. Kyle in. Farnsworth? Yeah, and I had a call in my crew. This back in the- Does Edward James almost know about this? <laughs> and he had his puka shells on, and where were we? Oh, we are ties till four on Ashland there in Edison. And I had to call my girl Stephanie and Mike McGovern and all my zoo crew. Like, you guys got to get me out of the state. John Garcia, I called him, Paul Didier. And then they all came. They all well, came. You, you and have like me. a tactical team. I have people, Dan. You're not the only one with with a posse. So, so and they all came and helped, and they were just laughing because he was, why did you started need wrestling to... somebody? Because he started wrestling a guy, and because he had all this testosterone, he was all. Arr! And this um, was this was after he was done pitching. Yeah. Well, no, no, no. He was. I think no, no. He was still pitching for the Cubs, but we went out to eat, and then we went to ties, and, and it just it. kept getting worse and worse. And then he kept he was you know drinking, which is fine, but then he. Started wrestling some dude at the bar. What do you mean wrestling? Like arm They're wrestling? Both, no, rest, full on Like Greco Roman style? Yes. And so I had to call my posse for help. I think Lisa you, came too. I, I was just, I mean, you guys got to get me out of the state. You got emergency evac out of there? What did Kyle, did, did, did Farnsworth go in a roid rage uh, when you left or what happened? He was just, so he was busy wrestling some dude on the floor. And then mm-hmm. I, we just kind of, you know, we stayed for a little, um, they all met him. Then we slowly backpedaled out the door and left. Everybody, and nice and again. easy, nice, nice and, and easy. No stay sudden calm. Moves. We're working with a, you know, a jacked up person right now. Yeah, you, Farnsworth became like a like a oh. crazy muscle head after mm-hmm. his playing days. I think I sent you the picture. Yeah. of him. Bizarre. Oh um. So yeah. no spark then. No, there was no there there. No, no spark. Yeah. Nothing. Then uh, no. Did he call you for a second date? No. And maybe I'm, he was. Maybe I'm, he wasn't interested. Well, obviously, if he was wrestling some dude on the floor while well, I was sitting next to him at a bar, just trying to impress you, you know, guys go to great lengths yeah. to impress. No, but the impress. puka shell is with the puka shell. I couldn't get over the puka shell. Now, does Mario Lopez know about <laughs> Kyle Farnsworth? Uh, I did go to our Cubs game with Mario Lopez. He was a gentleman. They kept calling his mom. Hmm. Mm. Yeah. That was his excuse to get out of the date. Bingo. Now I figured it out all these years later. Right. Oh, my mom. My, my mom, mom needs, needs to me. talk to me. I got yeah, to talk to my mom. Yeah, my mom needs me. Yeah. Sometimes I just get like, you know, you're ugly and I'm just, I'm leaving. Which, <laughs> well, you know, did you ever I get any, like, I don't like your mullet? Candor. I don't like your mullet hairstyle. Oh, back when I had a yeah. sort of a mullet? No, yeah. no. Okay. That's... A lot of compliments. Oh, all right. Yeah. My Joe Dirt face. <sighs> Uh, Rick in Downers Grove, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Hey, good morning. Usually when the date's not working out and it's me they don't want to be with, I usually get the more direct approach. You're an idiot, you're stupid, and they usually do that at the top of their lungs and storm out. Yeah. So there's no doubt about it. What? All right. Thanks for the call. Well, you know, some people generate a, a more vehement reaction than others, uh-huh. I think is the point there. Rick still probably has to pick up the tab, though, I bet. That's Tom and us, we go. Hey, good morning, Danny and Amy. I, I hate to admit it, but I probably hold the record for the shortest 
blind date. Really? Back in the early 80s, the only blind date I ever, well, I didn't even go on it, but I was introduced through a friend, went up to the front door to pick her up. Something about her and her voice didn't work. And I said, well, I have to go back to the car, and I never went back. Oh. You just took off. And, oh, my. Yeah, I know. I, I, I'm, Gosh, I, 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 Like hey, Steve McQueen and Bullet. He was, right. Yeah. All right. Wow. It was the 80s, and I just, I put it this way, I've never gone on another blind date again. Now, the flip side of that is I met my wife in 1990 at a Christmas party, and I knew within about a minute that I was going to marry her. Oh. So. You know, I knew right, and I did, and I did. We've been married thirty-three years. Did she? How, how much convincing did it take uh, with her? You know, Not at all. You? I think she knew. She knew the same thing. She was surprised when she came up to me at the party. I was drinking coffee because I just quit drinking, <laughs> and she didn't want to talk to me that much because she, she saw once I was drinking coffee and everybody had a little bit to drink. You know, I'd remember what everybody said the next day. <laughs> so <laughs> right. she was a little bit leery about talking to me. Right, so, but Thanks no. For- Worked out great. All Congratulations. Right. Thanks for the call, That's Tom. wonderful. See, love at first sight. It does exist. Uh, Scooter, Southside. Good morning, Dan and Amy. Uh, Dan, you always put things into perspective for me. Mm-hmm. Um, my my uh, first dance at my wedding was going to be True by Spando Ballet. <laughs> but, but the ex left me dangling at the altar. But thank you for putting it all in perspective. You're Thanks. a good guy. Thanks for the call, Scooter. Appreciate oh, Scooter's it. so nice. I love you, Scooter. Kathy Joliet. That was Hey, good morning, Dan. Hi, Amy. So, out to dinner about 30 miles from home, and it was not going well. And I, I had dated this guy for quite a while, but he, at the dinner table, he was... Just whatever he said or whatever, I was like... Did he start wrestling another guy in the restaurant? Is that what happened? <laughs> no, no. Oh, but, Dan, right. you'll, be, you'll be proud of me, though. I, I very ladylike introduced myself to go to the ladies' room, and I bolted out of the kitchen, went to the valet, got the car keys, oh. and I'm out of here. Did, really? he try to, did he try to chase you? Was it a high-speed I, chase I, in I Sue? Gonna, yeah, he was on foot, Dan. I was oh. in his car. Oh, oh, you took oh, his you car. Took his car? You can't do that, Kathy. Yes. Did he have you yes, arrested? I, no, I no, absolutely. I would have known. This was in the eighties. You know, it wasn't back then when everybody was so litigious. But I would have denied it. I would litigious. Have we, we, we did. We did. We did. We, we did report stolen cars in the eighties. <laughs> well, how did he Probably get his car not. back? <laughs> I left the keys in it, and I knew he had another set. You know. You can't call them. There's no phones. We didn't have phones in the nope. 80s. So nope, that's he, just I, had a, clean, he just had a hunt down shot, his car. Yep, clean shot through the kitchen, went to the valet, and I said, give me the keys to that car. And the, the valet was kind of heaving and hobbing about it. Because, you know, in the 80s, you're a woman, and you're like probably just got your driver's license. And I said, give me the keys. And he, like, I kind of scared him, I think, you know. Wow. And, um yeah. He gave me the keys, and I got in the car, and I drove home. I was like, done, done, done. So. And when did you two ultimately get married? <laughs> didn't. Oh. Are you kidding? Oh, I didn't know. You oh, know. no, no. Sounds no, like there's a no very tem- inten- no, intense, no. tempestuous relationship. I just, how did he get his no. car back? Where did you park it? In front of his house? And then, how did you, I don't know. Yeah, I parked it in the parking lot. Yeah, where he lived, you know. Uh-huh. And, well, that was nice uh, of you. 
Yeah, and I left the keys in the car, and oh. just, you know, I mean, called yeah. one of my pasties, picked me up, and I'm like, yeah. I'm out of here. So. Have you ever yeah. cried on it? Thanks for the call, kid. Have you ever cried on a date? Has anybody ever made you cry? Me? No. No. Hmm. I guess that's just me. Uh, I was wondering if that's something. It's like those pipes bursting. Yeah. I wonder if that was something that was like more about me or is this something that happens routinely? I've made people cry. No, I'm just kidding. You've made people cry? No, I'm, I did. Kyle Farnsworth, maybe. I wonder if he's still on the floor wrestling at ties. Tina and Joliet every Tuesday night. <laughs> hey, morning, guys. So um, I went through a, a cop phase where I dated cops all the time. And it was a disaster. And oh, yeah. the, the last one. <laughs> Men in uniform. Was... Man with handcuffs, Dan. Think a oh. little deeper. Oh, boy. So, well, so um, I was out with this you know, really attractive police officer. And at the end of the day, he looked at me. He goes, you know what? You just look so much like my ex-girlfriend's older sister that uh, wow. I just, you know, I just, I just can't do it. it it was literally, it was like taking a bullet. Did so did we, did you cry? Did he make you cry? <laughs> no, but that, I think that was my last foray in the um, uh, law enforcement. That realm. puts no you more. off cops All forever, time. really. That that wow. was it. Yeah, it just, that is a cold shot. It's well, not just you look honest. like you. Yeah, but you yeah, look like it, he could have. He could just said like you look like my ex's sister. You didn't have to say older sister. That was exactly. punitive. That was punitive. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, he also had. He wanted to get away from weird. you. Clearly. He had that. He had that weird um, shell necklace on as well, Amy. So it's I'm the right puka shells. I mean, we're not on a Hawaiian vacation. You don't need to wear those. Horrible. Well, but well, and Kyle said he wore his for good luck when he was pitching those. Well, guys. that was that was like the you know the heady days of Baywatch where he had oh, the shell yeah. necklaces. Oh, and... Did you own one of those, Dan, or <laughs> just your Italian call. horn? Tina, I don't know. Did not. No, I'm not Italian. Can't wear you had horn. an Italian horn, didn't you? I do not have a horn, no. Oh, Absolutely but you had a not. bunch of crosses. Like I, have Mr. A Mr. I have a Mr. T starter set, but no Italian horn. Okay, and no puka shells? No puka shells. Or bracelet, no. 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 Right. Uh, Chris and Carrie. Hey, I once left a girl at a movie theater when I went to get popcorn. We were at Leap of Faith with Steve Martin, and there were a couple of red flags, but the, 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 the straw that broke the camel's back was how funny she thought that movie was. I couldn't take it. It was a terrible movie, and I just said, I'm going to go grab, you know, get some popcorn. I just left. Wow. That's a quick trigger. Was, is there something about, oh, you didn't bring the popcorn back and try the old popcorn trick, did you? No, I did not. No, this, oh, okay. this is like the sixth. This is like the sixth date. And I, I just, I should have known after the second to get the hell out of there. But I, I, I stayed around for a while. Thought did it may s- lead somewhere. But it's... why did she like it? Did you guys go see Ishtar and she liked that too, or what happened? <laughs> no, she kept wanting. We, we go out. We go out for dinner, and she kept wanting to go to like you know. I'm twenty twenty three years old or something. In you know, Outback one time, or Wildfire, or Benny Hanna. I'm like, I don't have any money for this. She kept wanting all these uh, elaborate dinners that yeah, you know, yeah. I couldn't afford that. So, did she stalk I, you when you broke up with her? No, she found a rich. No, guy. I never heard of her again. Yeah, no. she found yeah. a rich. Guy. Thanks, thanks for the call. Yeah. Well, that's what that's. I mean, all this you know, spark and all this stuff. Oh, I, I need to funny, humorous, and blah. But yeah, right, cash. Uh, Vincent St. Charles. Uh, you know, I know how I would walk out on a date if I walked in the restaurant and she was wearing a mask. Uh, well, then I'd have to yeah, walk out. In the modern era, but, yeah. Yeah, really. But back in the day, I had a pager, and I uh, yeah. looked down on it. 
when the pager would go off, and if I was on a bad date, it, I used to once, I'd look at it and make a face and say, well, I got to go. I have an emergency. That would be not a good date. Did you ever get a question as to what the emergency was and you couldn't come up with an answer? <laughs> no, she asked me, didn't ask. So I was able to get out of it. That was a long time ago when I had no class. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for the call, Vince. And the admission. Yeah, uh, I remember the those candor. Days. I love this. This is good. Yeah, back when I had no class. I was like, school on a holiday. No class. Yeah, man. Tom in Blue Island. Hey, good morning, Dan and Amy. You know, Vince just made a good point. Probably a good way to get out of a date is, like, if it's going bad, just put a mask on and start mumbling. <laughs> but I was going to say... uh Farnsworth was probably just trying to prove his manhood to Amy, and it's another reason why guys shouldn't go out with women that can get rebounds against them. Have a good day. Thanks for the call, Tom. Yeah, well, I mean, Amy was able to move on to Carlos Zambrano after that, right? (laughs) And then he threw a Gatorade cooler at you, and that that didn't work out, (laughs) right? Um, One other reason, uh, Dan Singh, I just wanted to mention this as well, Um, that Brian... Kohlberger guy, the guy that's accused of murdering four kids in Idaho. Yes. Brittany Hislope of Kentucky um, is posting about him on social media. My love interest is named Brian. He's accused of murder, and I just wish to connect with him above anyone else. The 35-year-old Kentucky single mom of 16 said in one of many Facebook posts, you know, Brady, Tom Brady has his admirer, that model. Right. And and so does this um, uh, man accused of four murders. And uh, she really wants to connect with him. Uh, one way to describe my feelings for him over the last week or so is kind of like being lovesick. Oh, my God. You know, that's the thing. It's like I said, I watched that show Love After Lockup, you know, uh-huh. past the time. It's just like you, you just you see that you, or you see something like Brittany here, his love. And you say, well, all the good ones are taken. What chance do I have? Oh my Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. Hear about the big stories of the day. Then talk about them right here on Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy, Finland's leading expert on pediatric gender medicine says four out of five children will grow out of their gender confusion. Dr. Kaltiala, chief psychiatrist at uh, Tampere University, Finland's largest pediatric gender clinic, said in an interview with the country's uh, top newspaper, her, she is reluctant to recommend surgical and chemical sex change services for minors who identify as transgender. It's important to accept the child as they are, she said, but it's also necessary to recognize that it's common for children to strongly identify with the opposite sex at some point in their lives. But four out of five children who li- who identify as trans will grow out of it during puberty. That's why it's wise to monitor the situation, give the child peace of mind, and treat the family's anxiety and possible related problems. Finland is right now considering a gender self-ID law for adults, and a activist group there is pushing to have the law apply to minors as well. Of course they are. Uh, she argues, does the doctor, that the age limit should not be lowered when it comes to, well, when it comes to making these sorts of decisions about 
that will affect the, the rest of your life when you're a kid, right. deferring to kids the way like we're all Charlize Theron. Um, yeah, yeah, interesting. I mean, before and five, that that's still leaves twenty percent, which uh, my by my way of thinking, that is that's about where things are tracking because of the social contagion aspect of this. But that is way. Uh, way to way over the top in terms of people that are really struggling with uh, gender dysphoria uh, in a way that requires uh, psychiatric treatment as opposed to going through a phase as the doctor's describing with the other 80% of the kids. But nonetheless. So you got to get to the kids early, I guess is the point. Right. I mean, can you imagine when we were kids? Because we were, I was a tomboy. Never wanted, I wanted a did not want to wear dresses just, just as a boy. Wanted to change my name. I'm like, I should have been a boy, Mom. And I remember just saying, shouldn't I have been a boy? Because I like playing sports. And thank God they didn't, you know, you know, cater to me on that feeling. Well, nobody was even out t- of it. It wasn't even conceivable when right. we were kids. It was, I mean, nobody would conceive of this at that time. Craziness. Or certainly it was, I mean, unbelievably rare. And now it's a religion, and that's what it is, which is why outcomes are not of particular interest to so many who are pushing this, because they're members of this trans church. Uh, and by the way, those members are becoming actual priests and pastors. Have you seen Penny Cost? See what uh, he did there? Pentecost? Pentecost, uh, Methodist pastor. Of course he's Methodist. This dude who dresses up like a woman and offers sermons for the Methodists. He, I'm sure he would be comfortable at your church too, Amy. Nuthouse. Uh, here's what he had to say at a recent homily, just to give you a sense of what's going on. And so what will go on within the Methodist church, and of course there was a very high publicized schism over things like this, but... Who's winning the day? No longer may we sit idly by in wooden pews of fallen trees from lands that were stolen. No longer may we listen unshaken to the words of those dispersed seeking refuge from church-appointed supremacy and pseudo-sanctified nationalism. No longer may we allow the tears of our ancestors to be that of a well of sorrow. Today, we turn them into a raging river of defiant joy and resilient action. For in scripture of today, it is said, woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture. Reading modernity into this scripture, we see what can be described as a gentrification, not just of economic measures, not just of displacement of bodies, but a gentrification of grace itself. The privileged elite have enacted the social reality of generations of oppression and injustice, redlining and wealth capping all leading to the destabilization and displacement from the one place that the oppressed sought refuge, their home and the houses of God. Now, it's one thing when you hear that same problem from an NYU undergrad. It's another thing when you hear it from the pastor of a Methodist church. 
I mean, but they're, they're drag queened out. I mean, it looks like Tootsie on crack. Like, yeah. All bling bling. I mean, they're as if they're going to, you know, the, be, formal. He. 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 Yeah, that's right. Well, speaking that's of churches, uh, there's a law pending in Idaho that would uh, prevent doctors and therapists from permanently damage, damaging children by making it a felony to offer sex change surgery or pu- puberty blockers to minors, publishable, punishable by uh, jail time. Uh, and that's being opposed by the Boise chapter of the Satanic Temple because, as they argue, gender affirmation rituals carried out with a Satanic minister serve as both celebration of the self and a declaration to the self and others of one's true identity and our purpose to dispel any shame and stigma surrounding one's gender identity due to religious discrimination or cultural ignorance. Well, there you go. The Methodists and the Satanists are aligned and largely indistinguishable these days. For uh, more on this, pleased to be joined by our friend David Marcus, who's a columnist living in West Virginia. Couldn't hack it anymore in New York. And the author of Charade, The COVID Lies That Crushed a Nation. David, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Can I, can I just say that when Amy said, of course, he's a Methodist, that's the most Midwestern thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well, you, you know. <laughs> of course he's I a Methodist. I did Methodist or Methodist. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know those Methodists. Um, so uh, are you running against Mansion? Why'd you move to West Virginia? Yeah, what happened? I'm not running against Manchin. I know, I know a couple people who might be. Um, no, you know, I, this was mostly about my kid. I have a, a 12-year-old son who's about to be a teenager. And, um, you know, the plan was to live in New York, but, you know, his mom and I kind of talked about it. And it, it's a tough time to be a teenager in New York right now. I mean, when he was born, the idea of, a, you know, a couple of 15-year-olds taking the train into Manhattan to see a movie and coming back at 10, 11 o'clock at night, would have been no big deal. Uh, that's just not true anymore. Uh, it's dangerous. They don't work well. Um, and so we just wanted to change. And, uh, yeah, so here I am out in the stick. I yeah, am okay. looking at a beautiful sunset or sunrise over the mountains. So that no makes complaint. sense. Yeah. yeah. You, um, maybe you could take a coding class with all those out-of-work coal miners. Um, that's right. There. Yeah. 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 I, I, we got a lot of, we got a lot of in-work coal miners, uh, here at West Virginia, it turns out. So keeping my energy fell relatively low, so it's not going to work for that. Very does good. your son like it there? Is he acclimated? Yeah, he does. Um, he especially likes the new school. It's, um, uh, you know, it's a, they, they have something akin to school choice, or at least sort of like charters that you can sort of pick from. And his school in Brooklyn, I mean, it, you know, it's, it, everything's just so woke. I mean, every day was Pride Day or BLM Day or, or whatever it was. And look, I'm, I'm fine with all, with all of that, but a seventh grader doesn't need that every day. Yeah. You know, when he was 11, he was being asked what his gender identity was. It's, it's, right. You know. Well, and um, by, I mean, I'm, I'm just telling you and, and uh, pass it on, don't watch The Hills Have Eyes. All right? Just, it's, you know, okay. You just don't want to see that movie now that you're a West Virginian. Um but um, uh, speaking of uh, your son's experience in Brooklyn at school, uh, you wrote recently about uh, the failure to protect children, and it's um, it, it certainly there's a lot of there's a lot to, to that heading. But uh, one of the areas is with this what I describe as uh, religious zealotry of the trans movement, the LGBTQ, but really the trans movement when you're talking about major surgeries, in including in the schools. 
Yeah, you know, just listening to you guys talk about it now, I think one of the really important things that, that I've realized and that, that I think people should think about is that the, the focus on children is intentional. Uh, and the idea here really has nothing to do with the kids. The idea here is about affirming the delusions of adults. Right. Because the reason that the trans movement has tied itself so directly to the gay, lesbian, and bisexual movement is the idea that, that that's how people are born, right? And, and rightfully we say, okay, if somebody is born a certain way, that, you have to treat that differently because it's not something they chose, it's something that they are. Uh, the trans advocates really want this to be something that you're born as that's completely irrevocable. In order for that to be true, there have to be trans kids. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. In, in order for an, right. in order for an adult to say this is this is always who I am, there's no question about this. Then that has to be true when they're five, six, seven, eight years old as well. So that's what's really going on here, uh, and and it's it's pretty awful. Well, I mean, we had the Surgeon General say, you know, all last week that 13 year olds, um, it's too young for kids to be on social media, but yet they could have sex change operations. Right, and and why did the social and, and why did the Surgeon General say that? He was specific. He said, and I believe this is a direct quote: "They shouldn't be on social media because their identity is still developing." What? Wow. Right. But that doesn't right. pertain to yeah. Right. So you can't go on Tumblr because your identity is still you know de- developing. But by all means, if you want to take puberty blockers because you're just certain at. 12 or 13, that um, you're a boy or you're a girl or you're non-binary or what, you know, you know use moon pr- pronouns or whatever it is. But that identity apparently is set. Um, it, it doesn't make any sense. And I think that's what we just have to keep saying out loud, almost to the point of not engaging when it becomes nonsensical, because you get sucked into these debates and you lose sight of what you're really talking about is obviously a 12-year-old can't decide what their gender is. Right. Um, and but 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 also, too, I mean, there is I hear what you're saying and uh, about the, the fundamental point here and um, the, the logic that follows from the adults having to affirm their their self um, as the satanic temple, interestingly, points out. Um, but but there is a effort to sexualize. It seems to me. I mean, the parading around. If you're, if you're, if you're, you want to dress up like a a, a woman, your man wants to dress up like a woman. I, I don't care. But parading around, scantily clad, the all of that stuff. The the um, what we saw at, at it was see at Francis Parker High School. You bring in a a trans activist to uh, explain to sixteen year olds what dildos are, and this. Uh, there is also that sexualization piece, isn't there? Yeah, I mean, look, there there absolutely is, um, and and it's it's almost demeaning at times to women. I mean, this this new celebrity, Dylan Mulvaney, who is, you know yeah. who, was, who was at the red carpet at the Oscars, right? Right. You know, a lot of conservative women have written articles based. I think it was, it was Amber Athey who, you know, basically accused her of, of doing a kind of blackface, but you know, woman face. Because it is all this, like, it, it's hyper-sexualized, right? It's, and and it's, it's hyper-giggly, and, oh, let's talk about our makeup, and, you know. And it, I, women are rightfully offended by this. That, that, that's not what being a girl or being a woman is. And it's like, in, in order to, you know, affirm 
Kellen Mulvaney and make sure that that, 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 that that person stays safe. We have to go back 60 years and really demean women. None of this makes any sense. Well, that's actually, and that's actually where the term TERF comes from, right? These uh, second wave and third wave feminists who uh, are on this issue aligned with a lot of conservatives, the trans-exclusionary radical feminists, the rap that they're called by the trans movement. But, I mean, you, you've got some of those uh, feminist movement leaders who are basically saying the same thing if, they're, if they have the courage of J.K. Rowling to do so, at least. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, just the, the idea, yeah, the, the idea that this is not how a woman is defined. And sort of, you know, from the beginning of when this issue really took hold, which is about six, seven years ago, Chicago was actually sort of ground zero in a sense. I don't know if you remember, I believe it was either 13 or 14. Kevin Williamson, uh, who writes for National Review, yeah. wrote a piece in the Chicago Tribune that said, Laverne Cox is not a woman. It should not have been... A, a terribly controversial notion. They retracted the piece. Right. You weren't allowed to say it in the newspaper. And I think it's taken us too long to now realize that, that that should have been a much bigger warning flag. But, you know, boy, we're here now, right? Because this runs in public policy. Is your 13-year-old girl going to be doing a track meet against the boys? What are we going to do about prisons? What are we going to do about shelters? There's real questions here. He is David Marcus. He's a columnist now living in West Virginia and the author of the book Charade, The COVID Lies That Crushed a Nation. David, thanks as always. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thank you. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. It's news, opinion, insight. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. Insert Democrat Socialist here. Runs the Democratic House law. For 30 plus years running, he's promising this and he's stealing that. Where can you get that kind of money? He's using your house like his own piggy bank, gang, 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 gang. You ought to know by now. You can pay off your house here in Illinois, but you can never keep up with the taxes. Oh, how it's always been the plan to have a taxpayer pay, no doubt. Not a matter of if anymore, but when you're moving out. I said, when you're moving out. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. The theme music means it's time for our weekly conversation with Ted Dabrowski, president of wirepoints.org, all things Illinois policy related. What's our uh, Illinois congressional delegation up to? It's always fun to do a check-in on them. There was a, a non-binding resolution offered up in the House last week, that condemned socialism. What? <laughs> yeah, they condemned socialism. How many members Excuse of me. the Illinois congressional delegation do you think voted against that resolution? Zero? You, you don't think anybody no, voted against, against, against no. a resolution that would condemn socialism? No. Really? Uh, everybody. Uh, Chewy Garcia. Yes. He's a socialist. He voted against it. Jan Schakowsky. She's a socialist. She voted against it. Danny Davis doesn't know what he is. He voted against it. <laughs> Delia Ramirez is a newly minted socialist Congress human. She voted against it. Yeah, she's going to D.C. for the State of the Union speech tonight. And Robin Kelly voted against it. Sean Caston declined to vote at all because... 
he has more important work to do, like rewriting the Illinois, uh, the, the United States Constitution. Right. Boy, that's interesting. So uh, a resolution condemning socialism, and you've got uh, five, well, really six, I'll include Kasten, six of the 14 Democrats. Yeah, there's 14 now. How many Republicans? Three. Yeah, three. 14 to three. Well done, Illinois. Six of the Democrat socialists, well, voting against resolution condemning who they are. I mean, I get it, but I just want you to know who they are and share. Speaking of which, never have so many Nobel laureates spun in their graves at the same time. This piece that appeared in Chicago Booth, you know, the business school there, Mm -hmm. periodical, pro-market. To build an equitable economy, we must understand capitalism's racist heritage. This is an op-ed from some flunky associate professor at Loyola University in Maryland. That's not the point, and what it, what she her argument is not worth repeating because she's just basically repeating the same sort of two hundred level bilge of somebody who just read Das Kapital. So I mean, it's not impressive. The point is, it's in the University of Chicago's MBA program periodical, business school periodical. The school that gave us Stiegler and Friedman and Becker, gone. Chicago School of Economics that, uh, as George Will quipped, won the Cold War, gone. Another institution in Illinois, Chicago, by the boards, as far as I can tell. For more on all this, please to be joined by Ted Dabrowski. Ted, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Good morning, Dan. Good morning, Amy. Can't be surprised by the continued descent into oblivion, but uh, I guess you have to chronicle it regardless. Yeah, we have to capture it. And I, you know, kudos to Mark Glenn and my my partner for for picking up on the on the vote for vote on uh, you know these. Uh, U.S. congressmen in, from Illinois, and you know that they won't oppose socialism. They won't oppose the uh, the imposition of socialism. And uh, it, it's important for people to know where they stand. I think most people don't really understand what's going on. They don't follow it. But uh, you know, this this resolution is a political one, right? Because the, the Republicans came in and they uh, they put up this resolution. But basically, they want to see who denounces socialism in all its forms and opposes the implementation of socialist policies in the United States of America. And, you know, what's fascinating is there's a bunch of people who won't sign that. Um, yeah, like 86, said, 86, 80, well, 100 Democrats, 86 voted against it and 14 voted president. So 100 Democrats, so about half their caucus uh, roughly uh, voted against it. And I'm sure another half of the remaining half are just lying because they understand what it'll be used for. Yeah. And, and you know, so you got a guy like Chewy Garcia running for mayor. Um you know, again, people should know that who he is, what he stands for, what he won't stand for. Um, and um, I'm, I'm glad he wrote that. And, and, you know, and it kind of ties back into, like you said, University of Chicago. Um, you know, this, this movement is pretty strong. And, 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 you know, places like UFC, which, which you know, is, is, is one that should be defending capitalism. And instead, it's, uh, it's falling forth and, and just weakening its brand, weakening its, its, its uh, history. You can be uh, proudly pretty, pretty sad. You can be out and proud, proudly socialist. Without consequence in Chicagoland. Uh, if you're a Republican, that's an attack ad. 
that's 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 what Paul Vallis is finding out, which is something he should have known from the beginning. But that's what's happening now as both Chewy and Lori Lightfoot are ganging up on him. Yeah, but, you know, and, and this is the argument I think we need to continuously make, and I'm, I've been trying to make it now, is that you know you won't fix Chicago until until the equity argument, the equity message is, is totally rejected. And of course, we're nowhere near that now, right? But right now, that equity that equity argument is is so destructive. Uh, it's the equity argument that's ending up, you know, leading to more people being, uh, you know, uh, fewer fewer bad guys being convicted back out on the streets and killing more minority people, right? It's that equity argument that's ending up with no kids being able to read in schools. It's 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 a total mess, and, and until we get rejected uh, and get back to some some common decency of of, of merit and and uh, competence and competition and things like that, then uh, Chicago's going to continue downward slide. Well, Ted, yesterday both Paul Vallis and Chewy Garcia answered questions about different campaign donations. Let's start with Chewy. He finally uh, talked about FTX, the crypto donation that he got. We had nothing to do with uh, the two hundred thousand dollars. That didn't come to my campaign. We didn't need it. We didn't ask for it. I ran unopposed. Uh, that's a question for the investigators. Sounds a little nervous, don't you think? Well, you know, they'll take the money when they get it, and, you know, then they have to backtrack if, if something goes wrong. Uh, you know, it's just it's typical. And, you know, FTX put his, put his, he, uh, uh, he put his, his mark everywhere, and, uh, you know, Chewy, Chewy was part of that, and so now he's got to backtrack. But he's acting like he never even received it. Yeah, well, no, no surprise, I guess. And so, what do you what do you want to do about it? What does Paul Vallis want to do about it? Well, uh, Paul Vallis is I mean, Paul Vallis is under attack by certain uh, pastors. Oh no, because it's, it's, he took it's a campaign. You no, know, because he took a five thousand dollar donation from a cop who was sued, didn't win, but was sued in the Laquan McDonald case. And this Reverend Marvin Hunt wants him to give it back. Here's here's the the accusation and how Paul brilliantly handled it, I think. We're demanding that Mr. Vallis, number one, return the money, return the blood money. Number two, we're asking that Mr. Vallis come to the black community and make a public, make a public apology. There's nothing to apologize for. Number one, the police officer in question, there was no wrongdoing. And number two, we decided because of our concern about the uh, sensitivity of the community to actually not accept the donation and turn the donation over to an advocacy group. Now, I'm impressed by that. I think he handled that controversy well and... You know, I it oh just shows. God. No, come on, Who I mean, the he's hell not cares? denying it and and rambling around like Chewy Garcia. Can, 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 can I can I interject something here? Nobody cares where you get your money. Nobody cares. Chewy Garcia could be getting d- directly financed by the FALN, and nobody would care. It motivates no votes. So yeah, Vallis is right to basically dismiss it out of hand and move on because nobody cares. Oh it's something God. the media Who? talks about. I don't care where you got your money, dude, or dudette. That's the that's what the electorate actually thinks. I hate to break it to you. So whatever. Yeah, I, think, I think. Yeah, I think few people will follow that and pick up on that. Yeah, the, the bigger issue, of course, is is just what are they saying on crime, on education, and all that. And uh, I mean, you had Ted, uh, this is a policy matter too. You had this. This uh, independent expenditure, I know a little something about this since I ran one. I'm going to criticize for everything I do that's legal. You had an independent expenditure pack set up by Don Harmon's lawyer, the Senate president's lawyer, that was spending millions to support the Dem candidates for Supreme Court, also being backed by Pritzker, 
who are going to decide the constitutionality of the Safety Act. Yeah. And they didn't report any of the fund. They didn't report any of the uh, spend. Is that <laughs> illegal? Isn't that illegal? Yes, it's illegal. What? It's absolutely illegal. And it's just been so, so what happens that? No, 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 no. The dutiful press yeah, corps. Yeah, no big deal. Move on. Next. I mean, I just the, the yeah, it, oh, it's to, a big deal, right? I, ethics and transparency and 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 disclosure and clean elections and all this stuff, and then just but you know, when it comes to us, we'll just run a few million bucks through some uh, some some pack that Harmon's lawyer sets up, and uh, we don't, we'll just ignore the reporting requirements. We'll apologize after the fact. That that's how that's how it actually works in this kleptocracy. Yeah. Yeah, you're talking about the Senate president. It's, it's a big deal, but yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be swept under and no big deal, just a mistake. Have they said exactly why they why they didn't report? Just a oversight. Uh, yeah, what? clerical error. You know, we'll get to it sure. eventually. Yeah, no rush. Uh, they 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 never saw. I mean, that's like the, it's it's Joe Biden talking about classified documents. They have, they have no knowledge of any of it. The money spent itself. It's, it's where it's at. I mean, and so so like these conversations, This I wish I could get motivated by this mayor's race, but nobody's saying anything. And of course, the Chicago press corps is a joke. I mean, it is beyond a joke. They are uh, they are a, a parody of themselves with this. Oh, this donation and that donation run the ads, blah, blah, blah. They don't. There's, there's nothing being talked about. It's substantive crime. OK. No. Well, and yeah, you know, and? I, it, it's been it's been really pathetic. It's you know, you watch those debates. They've got nine people on there. Nobody says anything. Nobody, you know, even, they're not even taking that much risk against each other. You think they would? Uh, the media, the media's done a horrendous job of asking questions, and certainly there's no follow up. There's no follow up to the follow up, and and so you've got nothing. And and you know, we've tried we've tried to bring it up. You know, the, the real the real issues should be those that are, you know, those are the ones that I mentioned where equity is being destructive, right? Uh, you know, look at the black on black crime. Uh, look at the un, you know, unwed births of, of black mothers. Look at um, you know one out of ten black students being able to read at Chicago public schools. They won't touch that. And and and, and you know well, there's obvious reasons why they don't touch it. But so the real issues don't get discussed. It's really hard to differentiate right now between them. And I mean, and and like pieces you do like about uh, uh, Lightfoot's financial prestidigitation when it comes to the budget. I mean, who's paying attention to that? I mean, I appreciate the work and. It's good. It's good to have you know somebody actually documenting these things, so there's some reference material. But that's what it is, isn't it? Yeah, all it is is just we're on the record, and, and you know for, for the few, eventually when this thing falls apart, we'll know what the issues were. Uh, but yeah, you know we wrote about this finances because she came out and said that uh, you know magic has happened and uh, you know things have aligned, and now the fiscal footing of Chicago is back where it should be, and you know we've got these credit upgrades and all that, but. You know, she didn't mention the thing about about how the, the budget has just been, you know, massively helped by by the bailouts and the, the tax revenues are just flowing in. You know, it, 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 as, even if she's closed down the economy, even if she shut down businesses and you know did all the stuff she did during COVID, we grew like crazy. Why? Because of the free the free money. Um, so, but nobody cares, like you say, it doesn't matter. Well, I guess I mean to your point, and I, I've made the same one about the lack of risk taking. So, you know, if this breaks along racial lines like it uh, usually does in Chicago because we are a death cult, 
Um, then, you know, seven black candidates split up the black vote. Chewy gets the Latino vote. Paul gets the honkies. And uh, it's Paul versus Chewy. And if if it, if it's Paul versus Chewy, uh, he is not right now taking the opportunity, in my view, to wake people up, shake people up. And that's what it's going to take because he's going to be an underdog. And he's going to be pilloried not just by Chewy but by allied uh, organizations who get their – bread buttered by the way things are when it comes to a 30-day sprint to April 4th. And uh, this, you know, responding to the press, the Chicago press, like they're asking, like these are legitimate people asking legitimate questions is exactly the wrong thing to do. So technically, like his dismissal, here's the facts about this stupid donation. That's fine, but that's not what he needs to do. He needs to be, let me tell you something, okay? This doesn't matter. This is nonsense. You are a boob. And here is where you should be focused. So turn your camera around and let me narrate a picture of Chicago for you of what it is and what it it better be. And the only way it's going to better be that is with me doing X, Y and Z. I mean, there's just like it's he, he, it's it's all so rote. It's also vanilla. It's, it's it's this boring pong game between these underwhelming candidates and the, the underwhelming Chicago press corps. I mean, what's the what's the point of the debate? What's the point of this race right now, as far as I'm concerned? Yeah, I think it almost feels like let's see who can who can kind of like skate in without doing too much, you know, taking on the system too much, and see if I can just squeeze in. And I think, you know, right. like you mentioned for Val, it'll be a big risk because uh, if he doesn't differentiate himself enough, uh, you know, as being a change agent, and it's, he's going to have to do it very strongly uh, if, if he's if he's too accepting of of the way things are. Um, you know, and try not to make waves, and that might cost them. So, um, yeah, we have to, we have to see. And you know, Willie Wilson also needs to make more waves too, because he, yeah, he, he does. He can. He's, he, you know, he he can, and he should. Um, but again, he's got to be a lot louder. He is Ted Dabrowski, President Wirepoints dot org. All things Illinois policy related. Ted, thanks. Appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Thank you. And he joined us on our Turnkey dot Pro Answer Line. Listen to podcasts of Dan and Amy from the AM560 mobile app. Download it today at 560theanswer.com slash mobile. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. We got a uh, long-anticipated update from Border Princess Kamala yesterday at this uh, <laughs> luncheon. I like that. That's a new one. Uh, trying to get to the root causes. You know, she's been tapped to write point on that. It's her homework assignment. And things are obviously going very well. Everything's going. Everything's good. Everything's swimmingly going well. well but there is uh, some things that we could do to make it even better than it is now, if you can imagine that, when it comes to stemming the tide of migrants coming from the Northern Triangle countries. Basically, what we need to do is uh, send some more of your money to fund shovel-ready projects in Tegucigalpa and promote a female empowerment. That's, that's basically the last piece of the puzzle here. The second announcement I am pleased to make today is the launch of a new phase of our public-private partnership, which we have named Central America Forward. This includes a new series of U.S. government commitments to complement and support 
the investments from the private sector. Specifically, one, we will facilitate infrastructure projects in the northern area of Central America. For example, we will help to identify clean, ener clean energy projects, something that we're excited about around the world, but in this particular region where we know we can have great impact. Yep, can't set up enough charging stations in San Salvador. <laughs> No question about okay. it. The, this is good stuff. Uh, you didn't hear the female empowerment part, but prior to that, she went through her principles mm -hmm. that provide the, uh, the the parameters for her policymaking. And one of them, obviously, is good governance. That's her hallmark. And part of good governance is female empowerment. It's a hemispheric problem, and she's tackling it for us, doing a wonderful job. It's going very, very, very well. And that's got to be welcome news to big city mayors like Triple Threat here and Eric Adams in New York because that means that uh, they won't be, quote-unquote, inundated by migrants for much longer, at least not, not if you get Kamala her money and female empowerment. For more on this, please be joined by Emma Jo Morris. She's the politics editor at Breitbart News. Emma, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Hey, good morning. I'm, I'm so glad that Kamala Harris is sending female empowerment to the Northern Triangle countries. God knows they need it with all of their males having evacuated to uh, the United States. So, yeah, good yeah. point. Good. Yeah. Uh, yeah, sure. It's just exactly. Uh, they need to be empowered to go find them. Uh, all right, so uh, Emma Joe, you were. Uh, it's going to in... be a country full of girl bosses running that place. Boy, okay. I'm, I'm crossing those three countries off my list. Um, uh, so you were embedded uh, with uh, the migrant uh, folk, the, the migrants that uh, were bussed up to New York City recently. Um, I like that word for what I did. Um, I don't know if I would, if, I, if it entailed everything that that word implies. I basically, I, I live in New York City. I live in Brooklyn, so I went up to... Yeah, we to, can tell we heard the siren. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I was thinking, actually, as I was thinking, I was like, wow, this is very on brand. Um, but yeah, so, you know, I, I went out, I actually used to live in the neighborhood where this hotel is, the Watson, where they had put up um, a group of migrants to stay there because they didn't have a shelter for them or something. And um, then they tried to move them out because it's like a real hotel. They can't just live there. Um, and they tried to move them to a shelter that's kind of like an outdoor tent city thing. And naturally, it's you know, freezing out. Um, so the guys were just like, no, I'm not going. And they protested outside uh, demanding things like per uh, like uh, permanent housing um, or at least to stay at this hotel, the Watson Hotel. It's a three-star hotel on uh, 57th and 10th. It's right in Midtown. It's right where the tourists are near uh, kind of like, it's walking distance from Times Square. Um, and uh, they just said, you know what? Actually, no, we're not going anywhere and just posted up outside. So I went in and just kind of hung out there for a couple hours and went to go scope out what's going on. And uh, it was horrific. Well, what did you see? <laughs> like, oh, so, so, okay. So basically um, there've been a lot of photos and reports on this online. Basically what it was, and I wrote a first person about this um, on Breitbart.com. Uh, it was um, like, so they're scaffolding outside the Watson. So they were using the scaffolding as some, as, as kind of like a roof overhead. And, uh, and they were basically just uh, maybe about 50 guys, 50 men um, were, were 
kind of lined up along the wall of the walk-in, wrapped in blankets. Um, some people were laying on the ground and sitting on the ground. Some people were just kind of standing around, uh, listening to music, smoking cigarettes. Um, I described it as a block party in my headline. It was something like that. It was, <laughs> I guess that's one way to describe it. That was kind of the scene. It was it, like a lot of chilling, a lot of just like standing around. Um, some signs were there obviously made by activists. And I know that because the signs were in English. Um, when you try to talk to these people, they do not speak a word of English. Nobody speaks a word of English. Um, but yeah, so there were these guys kind of sitting around. They had signs up saying, you know, give them work permits now, permanent housing, um, basically signs that just like demands of the city. And and um, so I, I began talking to some of these guys, and the way that I communicated with them was uh, through Google Translate um, on my phone. So there's dictation, so you can just kind of talk into the phone, and it translates it into Spanish right away. And then they were replying to me the same way. Um, so we were we were talking, and I, I started asking people like, "Why are you here? You know, what are you expecting out of this?" And and it was a common refrain, which was basically, uh, you know, the the city is offering us outdoor accommodations. Uh, they're not really, you know, one man said it's not suitable. Um, you know, we are cold. It's, there's not enough bathrooms. People are on top of each other. There's too many people. There's not enough beds, you know, and, and they were basically just griping. One man also pointed out how, you know, the homeless shelters are basically like open air asylums um, where you have people who are shooting up heroin um, who are clearly mentally ill. There's a lot of violence, a lot of fights breaking out. Um, and that was a story. And, you know, it, it's weird to be in that position, especially as a conservative, which I am, and, I, and I've spoken one, and, and, you know, I don't believe in illegal immigration. I think it's a horrible violation of our sovereignty, of our law. I, um, you know, I, I think we should have a wall, you know, all of that. Um, and you're standing there, and it's a really weird kind of experience because on the one hand, um, you don't blame them for coming here and expecting to be given a, a room at the Watson to live in indefinitely because you have this government that's kind of said, you know, on this, on the federal level that we are a humane government and, right. you know, everybody can just kind of come and, and file your, your complaints with your country and stay here. And then you have the local government that's calling it a sanctuary city, which obviously implies something. Welcoming. Like you're welcome Welcoming. here. Yeah, right. Yeah, you won't and, be and so, you know, and these people come from places that I wouldn't want to live in. So, you know, you're, you're kind of having this weird experience that I try to express in the piece where on the one hand, it's like, okay, if I'm them, I don't blame them, I guess. Um, but then on the other hand, like the city, like, you know, the, the ire, I think, for me, went toward the government and toward the city. And I tried to express that in like kind of the subtext of my piece where it's like, why did you make this entitlement? Right. Because now you're in a position where you can't take it away as all entitlements work. You know, well, and they, they were incentivized to apply them to yeah. illegals or to citizens, right? But they put them in the Watson. Well, they're right. incentivized by our country to come here. And when they're turning down free stuff, I'm starting to think that their hardships might have been greatly exaggerated. Because we're paying for this. Well, that's it. It's, it's, I don't even, like, I wouldn't go that far. Like, I think that the hardships are for real. I just think that they have no concept of, of this country and, and, you know, the fact that money doesn't grow on trees just because you're in the United States. 
So, um, so they have no, I think that that's not even a thought that crosses their mind. I didn't bring it up to them. You know, I think that that's, again, the responsibility of leaders to say, like, wait a second, this is costing $4 billion in the case of New York. We do not have this money. We do not have anywhere to put these people. And there's no message that's being broadcast, A, to the Biden administration, B, on the media, to the public, to say, like, hey, no, no, no more. We can't accept these buses. We can't accept these people, you know, and then, like, you know, turning the screws on the Biden administration to really close the border for real. Um, That's not happening. What's happening is you have Mayor Adams coming and saying, oh, we need a decompression strategy, decompression strategy in, in scare quotes, which really means what he's asking for is to disperse migrants more evenly across the country, which yeah. is just outrageous. Or, or, or it's like, up in, close the border. Or up into Canada. Well, this is a, a, a yeah. you know classic case where this was just a beautiful lie I was telling. This was just a position I was taking to sound tolerant. I never thought I would have have to actually man the post. And so so it's surprising when the consequences are visited upon them. But I did want to know, at, at what point did the residents of Long Island uh, intercede and say, you can stay with us at, at our places? Uh, like no, up in the Hamptons? Like, in the Hamptons, you know? More, they, yeah, exactly. The half, when, yeah, exactly. Right. But, when did that happen? <laughs> yeah. I want to know, you know, Mayor Adams went and slept at one of the tents um, two nights ago, and I said, like, wait a second, that's fun and cool and all, but when are you putting some of these guys in Gracie Mansion? They are telling you that they're cold. Right. Not to mention, hey, hey, mayor, hey, 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 mayor, get out of my tent. You're taking up a space. <laughs> right. Well, that's what he's taking up a bed. Not that. Not that. It's true. It's true. And it's you know, this whole thing is just, um, it's like the traveling circus of misery, you know, mm. and that's really what this is. Yeah, I, I this is the second first person piece that I did in, in what is now kind of almost becoming like a series because I got a tip when the first bus came from Texas to New York um, and I went to go see it. And and there was really nothing much to see. I realized when I got there, like these guys basically showed up, got off the bus and were like let loose. And so I wanted a story. So I ended up peeling one of the migrants off the bus and taking him out for breakfast so we could talk and I could interview him. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it turned into kind of this whole day with this guy, and you realize, you know, how ill-equipped the government and the city are to accept these people who they've offered quote-unquote sanctuary to. Um, and and again, like you realize, this is like, you know, I think in the in, in the first piece I used this word, um, the line barbarism by bureaucracy, where it really is, it's like. There is no concept of what's going on on the ground, and that is increasingly true in New York. I don't know about Chicago, but I, I know New York, and, and, and I live here, and I've lived here for years. And what I'm seeing is you have this almost like medieval kind of society where it's like you have the limousine class in Tribeca, in Uptown, in you know um, certain areas in Brooklyn where it's just extremely posh, extremely posh. And then you have everybody else who is living hand-to-mouth, who is dealing with rat-infested, roach-infested, you know, strewn with vagrants and heroin addict streets. And, and there is absolutely no overlap between those two worlds in this city, where you have some people who do not, who are actually the ones making decisions, making political decisions, um, the ones with the resources and the power in this city, with, and who are, have their hands on the levers, have no concept of the ramifications of their decision making and have no concept of what life is actually like on the ground because they are just 
so far removed, it has nothing to do with their reality. And then you have everybody else who's living the consequences of that. And um, this is really a microcosm of that where it's like, yeah, we're a sanctuary city. Doesn't that feel good to say? Now I'm going to go on Jimmy Kimmel. And then <laughs> when you actually experience that, it's, it's horrific. It's horrific uh-huh. for everybody involved. That, that neighborhood has been turned into a war zone. It's, it's unrecognizable from when I lived there. And the migrants are, are getting shafted too. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's, it, this is a disaster. This is an unmitigated disaster. There's no words to describe um, how, how crazy this is. It's just crazy. It's, it's literally like a lunatic is running our political system. Uh, there's a lot of those in big cities around the country. Uh, before we let you go, I just wanted to uh, make sure you heard the word uh, since you broke the story about Hunter Biden's laptop. The laptop that is, in fact, Hunter Biden's laptop, just so you know. <laughs> Yeah. What a self own that was. <laughs> yeah. You know, these guys are these guys are writing to the DOJ and they're like, You have to do a criminal probe into this um this situation with the laptop because it was stolen from Hunter. But nobody had ever admitted that. The Biden hadn't admitted that. And and it's funny because it'd be one thing if they were like, Okay, let's cut our losses, we're gonna get a criminal probe. You know, we have to just you know, we have to just give it up and admit that this is Hunter's. But the DOJ has so much exposure in this that they cannot mm-hmm. go there. They yeah. cannot go there. The reason why the laptop in the first place was given to me was because the person who originally had the laptop, John Paul McIsaac, the owner of the Delaware repair shop where it was originally dropped off by Hunter Biden, he suspected that the FBI was sitting on it and burying it, which they were. And we have copious amounts of evidence to show that they were. They knew exactly what this was. And, and instead of investigating it, they went to big tech companies to warn them to hide it when it would be eventually reported on. So, um, so the DOJ yeah. is not going to take them up on this demand uh, because the DOJ would have to investigate itself in that criminal probe. It, it's, uh, so it's, this was just hilarious. It's weird <laughs> because you, you would think somebody that um, has found so much success in the energy sector as uh, such a private equity guru would, be, would have more attention to detail, would be a better strategic thinker. Yeah. So it's really, really surprising, very surprising. <laughs> yeah, shocker. Emma Joe Morris, <laughs> politics editor at Breitbart, uh, Breitbart.com. Emma Joe, thanks for joining us again. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Later. Thank you. And she joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. The more you listen, the more you listen, the more you'll know. This is Chicago's Morning Answer. Morning Answer on AM 560. The Answer. America First with Sebastian Gorka. Today at 3, right before Sean Thompson at 4 on AM 560. <laughs> the Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. So where do we stand in the auto industry? And I'm not just talking about as it pertains to EV subsidies. All the things we talked about sort of coming out of the lockdowns, supply chains, chips from overseas, cars not on lots, skyrocketing, used car prices. Where do we find ourselves uh, uh, after that has subsided somewhat? For more on that, please be joined by Tracy Kahn. He's the VP and GM at Joe Cotton Ford in Carroll Stream. Tracy, thanks for joining us. Appreciate hey, it. thanks for having me here. So um, what is uh, the marketplace like at present? Not much different than it has been for the last year or so, year and a half. Uh, we're, we still don't have enough inventory, uh, new or used. Uh, and what's ag- exacerbating the problem is uh, rent-a-car companies, and I don't know if you've gone to rent a uh, vehicle 
recently, but it's oh, yes. uh, we both have. <laughs> it's very expensive to rent a vehicle. So the rent-a-car companies are out buying up used cars since they can't get enough new cars from the manufacturers, and it's uh, that's what's creating this used car bubble right now, and, and eventually it will pop, but it's uh, right now there's still a bubble. Used car prices are outrageous, and, you know, it's a good time to trade a car. It's not the greatest time to buy a car. Now, Tracy, we were, just went over that. You can't say used cars anymore. You oh, have sorry. to say I'm pre-owned. Sorry. I'm sorry. I'm when sorry. Did that, I, when it, did they switch that? As I told you, today is my uh-huh. 42nd anniversary of working there, so I'm, I'm still used cars, you know, it, um, but pre-owned cars. Yes, yes I have to, and I have to learn to keep my pinky up when I drink my tea. But some pre-owned cars are more expensive than new cars coming off. Yeah, there are the several trucks. cars. We, we've taken in uh, probably three or four Broncos uh, on trade and given them more than they paid for the vehicles. That's unheard of. And so uh, the, the 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 problems that persist, though, where, where are the structural problems? Is it uh, is it still a chip issue? What 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 are the issues? Well, their chips are still an issue. Yeah, until they get these uh, factories built in the United States, the ones by Intel and uh, Apple, uh, and they start producing chips for us here in the United States, that's still going to be a problem. But uh, How many years it, away are those? I mean, that's, that's... Uh, it, the factories are supposed to be built by this summer, and by the time they get them up and running, I would say it's going to be about a year from now. Hmm. Um, but uh, it, it seems like everything else, uh, like right now, uh, they're struggling to get foam for seats and door pads and armrests and dash pads and, and those types of things um, because they have these rolling... Uh, let's call them blackouts, where where they can't work in China. And so then they get behind on that. So you think you you have everything in line and you have a vehicle that's going to get built and all of a sudden, you know, you don't have door pads. Or uh, you probably even heard about this one. We had 42,000 trucks sitting because we didn't have the blue oval that said Ford on it. Really? Yes. They were down in uh, Kentucky. They were all at the uh, racetrack down there. So, again, when are things going to get better? I, I would say we're looking at at least a year, and then it's going to take some time to shake out after that. So probably about a year and a half, things should start to normalize somewhat. But I'm talking about the chip manufacturing plants. Um, if a year or a little over a year for that. Assuming that that's the only problem at that time, uh, things will start to get back to some normalcy. Where, where's, uh, since you're Ford, uh, Joe Cotton Ford, uh, where is Ford when it comes to uh, what's coming off the product line, what their vision is, as you understand it, uh, for their fleet of cars? Because I, I've seen some interesting things uh, recently, including the fact they sold 91 million shares of Rivian mm-hmm. uh, and uh, that they were also investing a billion dollars in combustion engine development. Right. So um, Jim Farley, our CEO at uh, the our dealer meeting in Vegas back in September, made it very clear that we are not getting out of the ICE business, which is internal combustion engines, um, because there is no electric solution to pull 30,000, 40,000 pounds like these F-450s and F-550s can pull. Right. Uh, so we will continue to have ICE engines at least through 2040, which is what he had talked about. Um, but at the same time, they are going to uh, keep their foot on the gas, no pun intended, on the uh, EVs. Uh, so they're expecting by 2030, half of everything that they build is going to be an EV, um, where you, you see a lot of these high ends uh, like Lincoln and Mercedes and all of these, they all say they're going to go all electric by 2030. Ford doesn't believe that that's the way. It, it might be okay for uh, luxury vehicles, but it's not the way for John Q. Public. What about uh, like the, the, 
the you know the sports cars like the Mustang is that going to go all electric? No, they in fact they were just teasing the new twenty four Mustang GT and the in the GT five hundred uh, that's going to come along with it. Uh, no, they're definitely not getting away from Mustangs. I'm happy to hear that. You know. Yeah. There's hope um, from because Dan has said he is never going to drive an electronic vehicle. Right, and I, I have his convertible sitting at the dealership oh, right now. Do, do you? I do. Oh. It's there. I just you know need you to come up from. Wait, what color did we decide on? Yeah, guys? but the problem is the the price is now. I mean, not at Joe Cotton Ford. It's not your fault, of course, but it's like uh, it's buying it's like buying a silver shadow right right now. These probably these car prices. Well, I mean, you can afford a silver shadow, so well, everything oh, life is good. Oh, here we go. Yeah, here, here just we go. kidding. Dan. All right. Well, there's. Um, Oh, go on. No, go ahead. Well, there's so many vehicles that were destroyed in the hurricane in Florida. Yeah. Uh, how do we know that those aren't going to meander their way into pre-owned lots? They do, and uh, you have to do your due, due diligence. If you see something that was in Florida, and we went through this a couple of years ago in Houston. In right. Houston, there, yep. uh, they had the big hurricane down there, and so many cars were flooded. And these uh, wholesalers, we call them jippers, uh, will buy these vehicles, and they'll bring them up to other states and try to sell them and hope that nobody figured out that they were that they were flooded, that they were totaled. What's the what's the um, uh, auto industry like right now, and in, in, in from your shop or just in general in terms of uh, employment? Um, you know, this we we thought that we were going to start seeing mass layoffs. We have in certain big companies, but the job market remains tight per the five hundred seventeen thousand jobs created in January. So, how difficult it is is it? Um, for you to find any new employees you need? How, what's going on within the industry when it comes to employment? The most difficult one is uh, finding, finding technicians uh, because I think a lot of, and, and I fault the parents for this, but uh, a lot of parents tell their kids, hey, you have to go to college, but not every kid is meant to go to college. And uh, so the, some of these trade schools are offering some really nice discounts and financing packages I'm even uh, going to high schools and speaking to the schools and and uh, to their their parents as well, talking to them about getting into the auto industry. And I have a, I have technicians that make a lot of money, a lot more than they would work in a uh, job that they got from college. The uh, Chicago Auto Show is coming up. Uh, I assume, I mean, if Chicago Auto Show, I assume there's going to be a lot of cars that feature sort of. Um, tank quality plating on the sides and uh, the undercarriage uh, to be able to be Chicago roadworthy. Yeah. Bulletproof is that, is, that, is, that, is that what people are looking for this, this year from yeah. the Chicago show? Yeah, so we're, we were going to do a prototype and let Amy uh, put it on her, her minivan, her, you know, her dilapidated minivan. And, it's yeah. called the Hobo Ride. The Hobo Ride, I'm sorry. Thank I, you. I, I, yeah, pre, so, pre-owned yeah. Hobo yeah. Ride. Pre-owned, yeah, yeah. Um, and so, so uh, what are we going to see? What are we going to see at the Chicago Auto Show? What should we look forward to, or should we just stay away from downtown like everybody's doing? <laughs> like most everybody else. Well, um, if you go Friday night, you'll see a lot of people in tuxedos. But uh, there, there will be there will be a big push this year on electric vehicles from every manufacturer, not just Ford, but every manufacturer. Right. And when you go to the uh, Lincoln exhibit. They are uh, making their way that way. If it's not a plug-in hybrid, it is an electric vehicle. Uh, so there, there will be a big push. Uh, the scary part about this is, though, you know, where is all this electricity going to come from? Yeah, with the yeah, lithium that's... batteries. Well, yeah. yeah, okay, but how are you going to charge those when there's rolling blackouts in California and the grid isn't meant to handle this? You know, um, the, uh, 
John Podesta, Joe Biden, they'll figure it out. Uh, Tracy, don't worry your pretty little head. Okay. They've, they've got a plan. They've got it all figured out. Don't well, start. Stop asking these impertinent questions. These impertinent practical questions. Well, There's now hearing no that for those. Now hearing that from you, I'll be able to sleep better at night. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. I, now, are you giving like? Um, uh, a state of the industry address at the Chicago Auto Show. Uh, somebody of your stature in the community. What 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 can people look forward to from you? Uh, they can uh, look forward to me changing light bulbs at the dealership, and uh, <laughs> I, occasionally they'll even let me wash a car here and there. So uh, no, no, no uh, speeches coming from me. Well, how does the Auto year. Show benefit your company, though, your business? Well, we. Uh, Ultimately, we are the people sending customers to the auto show. So we okay. buy the tickets, and, and customers come in, and they get tickets from us, and we're sending them to the auto show um, to try to, to get the and, – and typically it does. It, it, it will get one warm day during the auto show, and it will spark interest in people. And they, all of a sudden, they just come out of the woodwork, and the lot is full, and it's kind of a neat thing to see. But uh, it hasn't been as great the last two years. Hopefully, uh, this year will be a little different. Yeah, you know where you should get them tickets. You should get them to the Cars on Fifth in Naples. Yeah, that's well, a, that's an auto show. I, I'm sure it is, but they'll probably all be electric there soon, right? Uh, I, no, I don't think so. And there, and this, this is these these are like I, I saw like the uh, the only matted finish Rolls Royce in the world. Wow, eight hundred grand. Oh Holy yeah, cow. you could afford that. Why don't you yeah. just um, live in take, your car? <laughs> or, or, well, no, get yours wrapped in a matte finish and. You could put the little Rolls Royce emblem on it. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah, well, I wear that Rolls Royce hood ornament around my neck, so <laughs> I'm, I'm just going to leave it there. Tracy Kahn, Vice President GM at Joe Cotton Four. Tracy, thanks as always. Appreciate it. Oh, thanks for having me. Thank you. There's only one radio show in Chicago talking about today's biggest stories and telling you what they really mean. That show is this one. Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773-467-5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender.